Good morning, church. How are you? Welcome to Sunday School. What we're going to do this morning, we're going to talk about David. And I grew up in Sunday School, and actually David was not just a one Sunday guy. When you look at the life of David, there are a number of places that ended up being a story in Sunday School. I can remember when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, and that was a part of David's life. And that's an exciting story. I can remember David and Goliath. We're going to talk about that this morning. There's so many places in David's life and in his kingdom. He was the second king of Israel, and he took a nation that had, was, was fractured because of Saul, and he united it, and he built it to be a great nation. And then there were things that David went through in his life. And even as a great leader, when he was king, he, he got into an affair. David has an affair. Not only does he have an affair, he actually tries to cover the affair up with murder. And then the prophet comes and challenges David, and David's response, he humbles himself. And, and, and God responds to David humbling himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that David, even though all of this, all of this had happened, David had a heart that sought after God. And you and I think sometimes we make decisions that we make a mess in our lives and we think it's over, it's done with, God is finished with me. And the reality is God so desires to rebuild. He is the God of a second chance. And for many of us, it's a third and a fourth. Some of us feel like we're going through life and we never learn in different areas. But God is engaged and involved in it. We pick up, pick up David's story in 1 Samuel. We start in 1 Samuel. We end up going on into 2 Samuel as David's story continues. I'm going to kind of camp out in two areas of David's life. This is a time in history with the nation of Israel that the nation of Israel is in transition. It's moving from a nation that is a theocracy to a nation that is a monarchy. When God raised his people and raised the nation of Israel, God's, God's plan, number one plan, was that he would lead his children. Really that simple. He would lead his children. And that's what the nation of Israel was at first. It was a theocracy, meaning it was led by God. One of the problems that Israel had, a lot like you and I, and we see it over and over again as we walk through the Old Testament. Israel was a little bit unsatisfied with that. They wanted to be like other nations in the world, and they wanted to have a king. So God said, okay, and he let them have a king. Their first choice for king, who God installed as their king, was Saul. And much of the story of David talks about the fact that Saul was out of favor with God without question. And it was glaring and it was obvious. And so, the, so God sends the prophet Samuel, the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, God sends him to go to Jesse's house. Jesse has all these sons. And God says to Samuel, I'm going to choose one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. 
So let's pick up a passage of Scripture. I'm going to do a lot of reading from Scripture to tell you this story, and there's a whole lot that I'm not going to read, but I'll fill, I'll fill some things in for you. So he asked Jesse, this is the prophet Samuel, he asks Jesse, this is after, after Jesse puts his sons up there one by one, starting with the oldest, and he puts the, his oldest son up there in front of the prophet, and the prophet is thinking, whoa, this has got to be him. And so the prophet goes to God and said, is this the one? And God says, no. They go through all seven of the sons that Jesse puts up there. All seven of them they go through. And God's response to Samuel is, nope, they're not the ones. So, so Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, no, they're still the youngest He's tending sheep. Samuel the prophet says, well, send for him. As a matter of fact, this is such a big deal. He says, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. And so they're all standing there waiting. And finally, he comes in. David comes in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance, the scripture says, and handsome features. And then the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Little David, who was out in the field taking care of the sheep. This is a time in history that Saul, the king of Israel, is out of favor with God big time. Some time goes by and Saul hears about this whole thing with David. And Saul begins to become fearful. It begins to shape who he is. As a matter of fact, one of David's talents were David could play a harp. He could actually play a number of different instruments. And he was a songwriter. He had an amazing ability to sing. And so what, what Saul did is he had David come to the palace. And the Bible says that nobody had the ability to calm Saul, Saul down like David. David would sing and play. And in all of his frustration and his anxiety, Saul would calm down and actually fall asleep. So they kept David at the castle a whole lot. He was in the palace a lot of the time. And Saul was also keeping his eye on David. As a matter of fact, Jesse's three oldest sons were also, they had joined Saul in battle. Saul was fighting the Philistines and fighting several other armies all at this time. David is back and forth between the palace and Bethlehem watching sheep for his dad. And he just keeps going back and forth. Finally, Jesse, David's dad, sends Jesse sends David out to visit his brothers on the front line, his three brothers. And he brings them bread and he brings them food. And he's just, he's kind of like a messenger, just, just connecting with them and, and bringing things to them. And it is on that trip that David hears about Goliath. And it's in this part of scripture where the Bible tells us all about Goliath. He was over nine feet tall, which means that if he, if he stepped into one of our homes, he would be hunched way over. Just, he, he couldn't, the ceiling would be too low for him to stand up. And it goes on to describe his armor. It was over nine feet tall. His armor was made out of brass. 
the legs were cut, everything was covered on him, and he was so strong, it was no problem for him to move around with this. And his helmet was carved out of brass, made specifically just for him. And he had his own shield bearer who would stand right before him and carry his shield for him. And he had his own sword, and, and he had a javelin that he threw. And the Bible is very descriptive about, about Goliath's armor. And what David learned on that trip was that every single day, every day, Goliath would step out in front of the Philistine army and he would taunt the army of God. He would taunt the children of Israel's soldiers. He would taunt them. He would say, send one man out to fight me. And he would call them, he would call them all kinds of names. Every single day, he would taunt them. And the other thing that David saw was that there was not one person, not one warrior, not one soldier in Israel's army, in Saul's entire army, who was willing to step up and fight this guy. Not one, including David's older brothers. And David is just blown away by this. And then David in 1 Samuel 7, chapter 17, verse 32, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David says, I am willing to go and fight him. And Saul replies, he says, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a, he's nine feet, over nine feet tall, He's got all this armor. He is a warrior extraordinaire. There is nothing like this guy. And he's been a warrior since he was a youth. And you're only a young man. And they have this discussion. And finally, Saul lets him go and do it. And, and Saul says, well, at least take my armor. And so they take this time, and, and he actually put, the king puts his armor on Saul, uh, on David, dresses him all up. It, was, it would be kind of like that if, if, you, if you took your suit and you put it on your six-year-old kid, and it was just kind of like hanging off. You was like, there's just no way this is going to work. And David takes it all off. He said, this, this is not helping. This, is, this just doesn't fit. It doesn't work at all. I can't move freely. It's just not going to work. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant was keeping, he's talking about himself, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from his mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and I killed it. Your servant, he says to the king, meaning himself, David says, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David sounds exactly like the Apostle Paul when Paul stands there and he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. There's nothing I can't do 
if it's what God wants done, and he will, he will, help, he will do it even in spite of me. I can do all things through Christ, Paul said. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And then he leaves. David leaves there, and he goes, the Bible says he goes down to this brook, and he picks up five stones, five rounded stones, five stones that the water has just shaped into, into the perfect shape that he wants. And he puts them into his little, his little fanny pack. You know, he puts them in, he's got that thing, he puts them in there where he's got his sling in there with it. And then he goes into meet Goliath. The whole, everyone in the army is backing away from this guy. Nobody wants to even go down and get close. And, and, be, and, and David walks up to Goliath. He says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defile. David's talking right to Goliath. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line. Amen. He went right up to the line. He didn't back off as Goliath was coming. He went right up to the line. And as the Philistine moved closer toward to attack, to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and stuck the Philistine on, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. You see, what it doesn't say is in the downtime, in the time where David was watching sheep, he wasn't wasting his time. David would pick up stones. He would fill that little pack, that little fanny pack there. He'd pull out a stone. He'd stick it into a sling, and he'd sling it. And he, he would practice over and over and over and over again. He would look at a leaf on a tree, and he would hit it with the stone and knock a hole right through that leaf. David wasn't wasting his time. He was getting better and better and better at what he did. He was a shepherd boy. I guarantee he would walk up to an apple tree and look the tree over, pick the apple he wanted, and he would whip that sling, and it would just knock that little piece that holds the apple on it. It would fall from the tree, and he would just reach out and grab it. Let's make a movie about this. This could work. <laughs> David knew his skills. He stepped into battle with Goliath with all the confidence in the world in what his abilities were. But he clearly recognized that this was a God thing. Amen. This giant was over nine feet tall. There has not been a warrior like this before. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And he steps into this situation. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then David, oh, by the way, see, everybody around him is thinking it's David. It's the artsy one. 
It's, it's the one who's good at singing and playing his instrument. He is not a warrior. He, he, he's, he's an artisan. He, he's, he's talented in, in, in a different way. And yet look what David does. He ran and stood over him. He pulled hold of the Philistine sword. He drew it out of his sheath. And after he killed him, he took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. Oh, he's just an artsy boy. Cut his head right off. Bible scholars say he reached down and grabbed the head and customary for warriors to do this. Grabbed the head and held it up to the Philistines. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. And David would say to you and he would say to me, other people's limitations only limit you if you let them. Limitations that people put on you will only limit you if you let them. How many of us could hear this over and over in our head? You're, you're not spiritual enough. But I want, I, I, want to, I want to get into a life. You're not spiritual. Get into a life group. Or you're, or you're not smart enough. Or you're too young. Or you can't and whatever the excuse would be. See, we are designed and created by God. Every one of us has different gifts and different talents. Every one of us in this room is a 10 at something. You, you, if, if you don't know the answers to whatever the topic we're talking about, that's okay. Because there's a whole other topic that you know all the answers to. We are all so different. We're created in his image and we, we are gifted in different ways. But you're not smart enough. Or you can't, you'll never be able to beat this illness. And, and things people say put limitations on us. David did not. He said, I didn't let the limitations other people put on me stop me. Amen. And if you're taking notes, nobody thought I ever had any potential, David would say. The people around me did not think I had any. My father didn't think I had potential. He never even invited me to be there when the prophet was coming to choose which one of us was going to be the king. David said, I can feel the pain of having a parent who does not believe in me. Some of us struggle with that. We have, we have a parent that just, just really doesn't believe in us. David knew that pain. Jesse didn't even bother to call David in from the field. When the prophet was looking at the older brothers, God says to the prophet in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, he says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David had a heart that sought after God. David said, I want to live my life honoring God. I, I want my life to walk down that path. 
Nobody thought I had potential. He said, my brothers didn't think I could be a warrior. They thought I was just a messenger boy and no more than that. The king, the king certainly didn't think I could, could be a champion warrior. And Goliath, my opponent, Goliath didn't even think I was a worthy opponent. Look what Goliath said when David steps up in front of him. He, says, he, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? In other words, this is an insult. What is this, a joke? When David stood up to fight him. He says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. That alone shows how little Goliath thought of David. It's common practice. It's, it's common courtesy. The, the rule of a warrior, when one warrior is fighting another warrior, the warrior who loses at least gets the respect of a proper burial. It is custom. It is always done that way between two warriors. Goliath looks at David and he says, I'm going to feed the meat of your body. To, you're not even going to get a proper burial. I'm going to feed you to the birds. I'm going to feed you to the wild animals. David said, I didn't let the limitations others put on me stop me. As David's life rolls on, Saul's afraid of David. And Saul watches David grow in popularity. Matter of fact, David actually marries one of Saul's daughters. But you got to read this story because when you read this story, you realize that in this whole area, Saul actually puts one daughter up first and then he puts another daughter and David deals with all that. But Saul has a requirement for, for, for David in, in, getting the, in getting the daughter. And I'm not even going to talk about that. I, I want you to read that part of the story. And some of you parents are going to have to explain to your kids what that means. Some of you parents are going to have to Google before you talk to your kids to explain what that means. It is very graphic. It's a blast. Saul actually gets to the place where he tries to kill David. And then there's a song that's running around the countryside. It's kind of like a folk song, and, but people are singing it everywhere. And two of the lines in this song are, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul hears this and gets more and more fearful. It gets so bad that David has to flee for his life. And there's a whole group of soldiers that go with David. And in, in, in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, it says, so David and his men, about 600 in number, kept moving from place to place. They were hiding in the desert, and they kept moving around so Saul could not find them. Before this even happens, while, while David is still under Saul's authority, Saul actually gives him responsibility in his army. Saul sends him out to fight the Philistines in different areas over and over again. And every time it happens, David gets out there and he wins and he accomplishes the mission and he comes back and his popularity gets even larger. And this happened over and over again. Finally, Saul says, that's it. And Saul pursues David. It says, so Saul took 3,000 able young men. 3,000 against 600. He took 3,000 able young men from all over Israel and set out to look for David and his men 
uh, look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, I have no idea what that place is. Bible scholars have no idea where that place is. But you know what? The writer of Scripture knew where that place was. And everybody, everybody in that time knew where that place was. Scripture gives us specific places, specific things in time. It goes on to say, he came to the sheep's pen along the way, and a cave was there. He came to the sheep's pen. We don't know where they, they knew where it was. It was a place in history. It was a spot that they went, that they all knew about. I love this part of the story. And Saul went in to relieve himself. 3,000 men in his army, they're all on their horses. They picture this. They're all, they all have 3,000 men on horses. They have to stop because the king has to go take a relief himself. And so he goes into the cave. You, got, you know what this is like when you come out from the sunlight and, you, and, and it's dark in the house and, and you, you can't see anything. It's like you're blinded because you're coming out of the sunlight and you're coming into the darkness. And Saul is walking into this cave. And Bible scholars tell us that caves like this in that whole region were so common. There are some caves that would actually hold up to a thousand people inside the cave. And they were used for all sorts of things. Some of them were used for burial. Some of them were used for housing. And that's what, what David and his men were doing at this point. And they're in the back of the cave. And Saul comes walking in and sits down to, and this is the only place in Scripture that, 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 that it actually talks about something like this. You can write this one down and, and put an asterisk next to it. Saul comes in to relieve himself. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, the reality is there is no place recorded in Scripture where God actually says that to David. It's not even there. But his soldiers kind of took the concept from wherever they took it, and, and they presented it to David as, dude, clearly... Clearly, God is placing him in your hands, and you need to take his life. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed right behind King Saul, where King Saul was taking every leave himself. And, he, and David, it says, it, he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He just cut the corner of the fabric right off. And he backed up into the cave. Then David crept up, I'll notice, cut off the corner. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken. I want to talk about that this morning. He was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. Remember, his men wanted him to slice Paul's neck. They wanted him to kill him. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David was saying, 
I, I know Saul is out of favor with God, but the reality is Saul is the king of Israel, and he was placed in there by God. If God wants him out, God will do it. I am not going to do that. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not, now, not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now listen to this. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. My Lord, the king, David said. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrate. David laid down on the ground, totally face down and lifted his head up and said to the king, why do you listen to men? Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointing anointed. David was saying to Saul, Saul, all of this time, your fears for me, all of this time when you were listening to the culture, when you were listening to all other people, instead of really just listening to God who you should have been listening to, all of that was unwarranted. It was a waste of time. You're out here with 3,000 men. You're pursuing me. You want to kill me. I have never wanted to injure you. That has not been, you've been listening to the, have you been listening to the wrong people? David said, Saul, you have been listening to the wrong people. And look what it has done to your life. Look where you are now because you're listening to the wrong people. In verse 11, David holds up the piece of fabric. And the king looks down and he sees that piece of fabric missing. I'm not guilty, David says, of rebellion or wrongdoing. I, I, I have not wronged you, and yet you have wanted to kill me. May the Lord judge you and may he judge me, David said. And when David finished saying this, he asked, saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? You see, before all of this, David and Saul had a great relationship. And a great relationship was destroyed because Saul was listening to the wrong people. And that let the way we think determines the way we feel which determines the way we act. And it took Saul down this path that frazzled his life. It says, and he wept aloud. Saul recognized that David was truthful and honest and had integrity. And that's who he was. And you can't argue with that. No matter how hard you try, you cannot argue with that. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did for me. The whole story about the fabric being cut off. 
The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. Saul got on his horse and took his 3,000 men and went. And the story tells us who the better man was. And the story shows us the difference between the two and the life that unfolds because of who we are following. And David would look us square in the face and say, I'm so glad I listened to my conscience. Jesus, when he left, he said, listen, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you. The very nature, the very spirit of Jesus Christ, as for us as believers, is living inside of us. Our, our conscience is a gift from God. God works through our inner thoughts. The way we think determines the way we feel, which determines the way we act. Andy Stanley puts it this way. Look at this. Andy says, pay attention to the tension. When you're in a situation and you just feel that tension, you're ready to make a decision and, and you know what's right, but you're talking yourself into this other direction. And there's a tension there. Andy says, pay attention to the tension. So many of us sitting here, we can look back, we can look in the rearview mirror, we can turn our head over our shoulder, and we can remember points in time with our finances, with relationships, with other areas in our lives, that that tension was there. But we talked ourselves into making the wrong decision. And we didn't pay attention. We can be at a place and a point in time where we're dealing with that. And what we don't realize is this tension and this decision has repercussions that down the road are going to be so much larger than we ever thought about. And if we make the right decision, the repercussions and the results are so much larger and so much better. But when we make the wrong decision, the pain, the unnecessary pain. There's an old hymn that, 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 that comes out of my brain from growing up in church. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not tarry and take it to the Lord in prayer. We talk ourselves into going the wrong direction. And we take that tension, we take the Holy Spirit, the very nature of Jesus, and, and we come up with our own ideas to push it down and away. And all he's saying is, listen, trust me, obey me. Remember who I am. I made everything. I know everything. I want the absolute best for you, and I love you more than everything I've created. But we forget that. And we don't pay attention to the tension. And continuing in David's lives, like there's so much that we could look at this morning, and you need to read the story of David. 
He actually spares Saul's life again. Saul ends up taking his own life. He's battling the Philistines, losing big time. The end is there. And Saul turns to his sword bearer and he says, take your sword, please, and run it through me. And his sword bearer can't handle the thought of doing it. Then so Saul takes his own sword and he leans, leans it up against himself and he throws his entire body on it. He kills himself with his sword. And his sword bearer sees that. He is, he is so, so taken over by that that he does the same thing. And the Bible says that Saul, his sword bearer, and his three sons, all of them die that same very day. And Saul fractured the nation of Israel. David begins to rebuild the nation of Israel. I could talk about the fact that David becomes king of Judah, most of Israel. And then David becomes king of the entire nation of Israel. Could go on and talk about the fact that this was one whole story in Sunday school when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. That was a big deal. And then one Sunday we talked about David and Bathsheba and the affair and the murder. And that was a process to learn about doing what is good and what's right. And, and the prophet Nathan comes and he rebukes David for this whole big mess. And David responds and humbles himself and asks for forgiveness and asks God for forgiveness. And God points to that and said, I know he killed somebody. I know he had an affair. I know he's done so many things wrong, but his heart seeks me. I love the fact that his heart seeks me because we have a God of a second chance. And for many of us, a third chance. Some of us are running a dozen chances right about now. And out of the whole story, just two things I wanted to focus on. And the first one we already talked about, David says, I didn't let limitations other people put on me stop me. Some of you need to hear that. You're not stupid. You are spiritual enough. Listen, here's the reality. If we're following Jesus, we're walking, right? We're following him, right behind him. Whatever he says, we, we do, that, it's that simple. But when you're turning around, going the other direction, that's a problem. If you're following Jesus, I, I don't care how many steps behind him you are. If you're following Jesus, you're spiritual enough. And the second thing is what David said. I am so glad I listened to my conscience. When Saul said, you're more righteous than I, he said, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. Saul, you're not being led by God. You're letting the culture, you're letting everyone else's words lead you. See, if David, think about the optics. David goes in, Saul goes into the cave. Has no, 3,000 men watch Saul go into the cave. Think of the optics. David cuts his head off, grabs his head by the hair, comes walking out of the cave. You know what would happen? That army would follow David. It's the way the world went then. And that's why his men were saying, go ahead and killed him. But you know what? He would have been known forever by the entire world forever as the king who killed the king of Israel, the second king of Israel who killed his predecessor. 
who cut the head off his predecessor. Worse than that, he would be known as the king who killed his father-in-law. Not that some of you haven't thought about that. It would have affected his ability to rule. He would have set up a precedent in God's kingdom, in the nation that God calls his. He would have set up a precedent of kings slaughtering other kings, which is not the way God would do it. And it's the same for you and I. We can make a decision, and it will set up a precedent in our family that will go on for years. Dads, you know what we want. We want our kids, when they grow up to be adults, we want to know that we still have their respect. David chose. He listened to that tension. Your conscience is a gift from God to help you do right. The Holy Spirit living inside of you and living inside of me as believers is the very process that he moves us forward. And David had a heart that sought after God. Here's the reality. I know we've all been through this in different areas of our lives, but there are some of us this morning who were smack in the middle of that tension. There's some of us this morning who may be in the area of our finances, in the area of our relationships. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's what, maybe, but it's a, maybe there's a relationship that's ongoing that you know is not what God has for you. Maybe you're headed down a path with your finances that you, there's this tension and you know that's not the path, but yet you're talking yourself into getting on another path. Every path has a destination. And God is saying to us, come on, you just, in this area, in this area, in the, you just need to be obedient. Let's keep walking step by step down the path. But some of us are dealing with that tension. And, and we're allowing temptation to keep us right there on that edge. And at any moment, whether it's finance, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in another area of your life, at any moment, you could step off the path and you're thinking, I could just get right. I'm not going to be far off. When you change paths, you change destinations. Amen. Pay attention to the tension. And be with David, David was willing to listen to the voice of God. Stand with me this morning. Church, we, we all deal with this. My challenge this morning, wherever in your life you're dealing with this, maybe you've been through FPU, and, and you know, and, but you're off the path. Maybe in your marriage, you're, you're just letting it, you're, you, this tension is there. And you're messing with it. Or maybe in another relationship. Father, I pray this morning. Lord, thank you so much for our family here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. 
And Lord, in the lives of some of us this morning, that that tension is there. We just honestly stop and thank you for that tension. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is pursuing our hearts, that you're tugging the very strings of our heart towards our relationship with you getting stronger, better, richer, towards the relationship with, with those around us getting stronger, better, richer, the different areas of our lives moving in the direction that you have for us towards blessing and not a curse. God, I pray that over our church family in such a real way. And Lord, we this morning would just celebrate that. And for some of you this morning, you recognize that tension. I pray that God himself would give you the strength, give you the courage, that the Holy Spirit would well up inside of you and you would make a decision, the same decision David made, to walk away from temptation, the same decision Joseph made last week, to walk away from temptation and stay on the path that God has for you. Guys, you're doing it. We're doing it together. We are following Christ, and he has a purpose for each one of our lives, and he is unfolding it, and he will continue to do it. Father, do that, we ask, in your precious name. And everyone said, amen.